Welcome into another edition of the Bama Baseline Podcast. I'm James Fletcher. Joining me as always is Luke Ratliff. And we have a big show lined up for you today. We have a recap of the Jacksonville State game. We have a recap of the Stanford game from last night. A lot to talk about there. And then we will move into a preview of tonight's game against the UNLV running Rebels. Uh, We'll see what they have that could maybe give Alabama some problems or that Alabama could exploit. And then we will talk about tomorrow's potential matchup against either Providence or Davidson. Um, Really, whether we win or lose, it could be either of those teams that we face off against. And after that, we will move into um, our list. We'll talk about um, something to be determined in a list format. We'll get you guys to, to give your input on social media. Uh, let us know if we got the list right or wrong. We will go through Luke's notes, and then we will wrap up the show today with a new segment. We'll talk about the teams that have impressed us, the teams that have depressed us uh, so far in this college basketball season. We've gotten a little bit of a, a sample size. It is December 1st now. We've got November to look back on, and so we will discuss what teams have really risen their stock and which ones are taking a, a, a big dive uh, so far. Luke, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am fantastic, uh, considering it's dead week, and I slept just only a couple hours last night uh, doing homework up all night. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar, James, but yes. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. You know, all is right in the world. College basketball is back, so I'm, I'm very happy right now. Yeah, it's been – Fun to have college basketball back, even more fun over these last few days to have basketball going from uh, pretty much when you wake up in the morning to when you you lay down at night. So a lot to be excited about. We've seen plenty of college basketball over these past few days, uh, including what we'll start off talking about Alabama's home opener against Jacksonville State. Uh, They picked up the win there uh, pretty pretty easily. Uh, I would say an 81 to 57 victory uh, kind of got the, got the backups in at the end of the game, got some of those bench guys, some, some minutes, some reps, uh, able to see what they could give you out on the floor. But uh, what did you like from this game against Jacksonville State? We know, James, we said in the previous edition of the Bama Baseline podcast that it was critical for Alabama to come out and win handedly in the short season where the eye test and the sniff test, as I call it, mean so much more to the tournament committee than anything else, any other metric because of the shortened season. And Alabama did just that. Although in the first half, Alabama looked like they were just trying to find their groove. Maybe they were forcing a few things. Now I will say this, a few bounces didn't go their way, uh, but that's basketball. You got, you got to live with that. In the second half, though, Alabama really turned it on. They started shooting the ball better, better ball movement, executing the offensive strategy, playing really good defense, getting fast break opportunities off of steals. And it really propelled them to the 24-point win, which we saw against Jacksonville State last Wednesday. And this is a good Jacksonville State team, too. And I want to talk about this before we move on to our further analysis of this game. Uh, Jacksonville State going to be uh, – I, I, I discredited them in the OVC on our last podcast because I said they were not very good. They're still not great. But they went on the road after Alabama. Uh, They won two games in a row, including a very convincing win on the road against South Alabama, which will be a very good team in their conference. So that makes Alabama look better for getting a win against them. Uh, Looking into the game, though, I was very impressed with – you're always impressed with the defense of Herbert Jones. Always there. Yeah. But I was very impressed with Jaden Shackelford, how he hasn't dropped off any from last season. How about the rebounding? The rebounding, yeah, how about that? You know, that's that's one of my keys to the game. you got to rebound the ball. And we'll talk about this later as we talk about Alabama's most recent game uh, when it comes to rebounding. But for Alabama to have success, they have to rebound the ball. And Alabama did so against Jacksonville State. But I want to talk about how there was no drop-off whatsoever in the production that Javon Quinterly gave the team. 18 points on his birthday, nonetheless. Uh, and, man, can this guy finish at the rim. It's, it's something we talked about earlier in the podcast about how Alabama needs somebody that can get to the rim and finish, and this guy can't. He can do it through anything. 
Yeah, he's very good around the rim. Obviously, we knew that with Jelly Fan, but a lot of criticism early on in his uh, college career. Did Jelly Fan translate to college basketball where the defenders are bigger, uh, they're moving quicker, and they're able to kind of chase those down sometimes? I thought, like you said, Herb Jones on defense, it's incredible to watch. I think he blocked two three-pointers, if I remember right, in that game. Uh, and you don't see blocked three-pointers very often. Uh, well, coming and, across his body, too, if I remember. Right, right, and trying to recover. And so to see that incredible, Jaden Shackelford, you hit it on the head, he, just as good as he was last season. And that was without the three-point ball uh, really falling for him early in that game. So he had to create some different looks, uh, get into the lane, shoot some floaters, get some layups, get to the foul line. I thought his rebounding was a real plus. A lot of people, especially on the broadcast, they like to talk about how Alabama shoots a lot of threes. That means long rebounds. And so – uh, when last year we know John Petty, one of the top rebounders on the team, this year Jaden Shackelford already uh, stepping into a role where he, he starts to rebound the ball. That's big for Alabama. But I think the negative that I took from this game um, would have been, A, the, the three-point shooting, but I wasn't too concerned about that first game of the season. Uh, but number two would have been interior presence. I didn't think that Alabama showed the interior presence that they should have against a team like Jacksonville State. And I think that really carried over into the next game against Stanford, which we'll, we'll talk about now. And I thought that was one of the big keys uh, against Stanford uh, was that there was no interior man on the inside. We heard a lot about Jordan Bruner and what he was going to bring to the interior defense. And he, he's brought a lot to this team. I do see the versatility, but uh, in terms of stat production, kind of blocking up that inside, it hasn't been there yet. Well, and that's something we talked about. Uh, I talked about last week about how Stanford and our team preview for Stanford, how Stanford was – a successful team, going to be a successful team this year in the Pac-12, a top three team for sure, because not only do they have the offensive productivity, but they can rebound the ball extremely well, and they defend well in the half court, especially in the middle, middle of the court. They don't allow very many shots inside, uh, and they're a very good half court defense team. And those are teams that Alabama struggles against, you know, teams that can grab the boards. You look at last season against North Carolina. You look at last season against the LSU and Baton Rouge. Teams that are big and can rebound the ball are sort of Alabama's kryptonite, especially when Alabama isn't shooting as well as they are uh, or as well as they normally are from beyond the arc, which was the tail of the tape last night for me. Alabama, through two games a season, not shooting the ball well at all, not scoring at the same rate you'd expect them to as they did last season. You know, last week, last night, Alabama had 0.77 points per possession, uh, which is very much not good for this team. Uh, You want to have that well over one, but uh, it's, you know, we talked, you talk about rebounding, you talk about stuff at interior presence, and hopefully that's something that as the season goes on uh, in, this team short, sort of whips in the midseason form. It gets into a rhythm of playing uh, two games a week. Two and three. This week they've played four games in eight days. But get in the rhythm of the season, uh, practice three days, and then play a game. You hope that that will sort of fit in. The shooting into your defense, they'll sort of find their way. And uh, that you sort of got to hope because they lost by 18 to Stanford last night, and it was not pretty to watch at all. No, and I think that one of the things that concerned me uh, throughout the game, and in the first half, you know, you kind of thought, well, they're sticking around, they're not shooting well, they, they haven't played up to their standard, but they're, they're hanging around. And then there was a, a point uh, where the buckets just stopped falling for Alabama. I think it was four minutes and 40 seconds uh, to close the, the first half that they didn't score a single point. And we talked about it, you can't let these runs, these highs and lows – uh, get you and you know you, you've got to be able to bounce back from that and what I saw in the second half was was that they weren't able to bounce back as well as we would have liked them to uh, they kind of got caught up in in doubting the shots you know there was more passing uh, on open looks things like that that will cost you when you play a really good team like Stanford and I know uh, 
not, not necessarily taking a victory lap, but we, we kind of uh, last night on Twitter talking about, we told everybody that this Stanford team is legit. Uh, they were not to be messed with. And uh, Alabama didn't come out with their best stuff and, and they got caught with for it. So uh, hopefully they're able to rebound uh, tonight against UNLV. But it, it wasn't a good showing from Alabama. And some of it you can't do anything about. Zaire Williams was incredible. <laughs> he, he took every shot that Alabama wanted him to take, and he, he just knocked them all down. Well, that's what I want to talk about now. It seemed like, uh, for the most part, defensively, Herbert Jones, of course, uh, guarding Zaire Williams as he would want him to. And it seemed like the plan was – and I think a lot about – uh, Nick Richards last year when Alabama played at Kentucky, you didn't want him to get inside. You don't want to get him near the rim. So you run him out 17, 18 feet and try and force him to take that mid-range shot. And the same happened last night with Zaire Williams where run him off the three-point line. Don't let him get – don't let him catch and shoot. Don't let him you know, get inside, get to the rim. Force him to take those 17, 18-foot shots. They're low-percentage shots, which, you know, as a coach, you can live with. As a basketball coach in the day-to-day and age, you can live with players taking and making the occasional of those shots. The problem lies in he made every last one of them. He, he would yeah. – <laughs> off off the dribble, off balance, Herbert Jones' hand in his face, he would make every single shot. And that's just a testament to the player he is. We knew what kind of player he was coming into the game. But one thing I'd like to talk about, James, is last night's game against Stanford – I think it was a topic of conversation for the whole game, uh, for me at least. I didn't see many other people talking about it, but for me at least, it's a topic of conversation. Alabama got into early foul trouble with Javon Quinterly, with Herbert Jones getting two fouls with still a lot of time left in the first half, then coming out and getting very quickly his third foul in the second half. It just I, – I don't think – Alabama could get into the rhythm they wanted to, playing the bas- playing basketball the way they wanted to when, you, in, when you're in foul trouble. And although the depth, we have depth this year at the, uh, on the bench, you can go you know, 10, 11 guys deep. As we've seen, as we saw Coach Oates do against Jacksonville State, but it still seems like there's just there was no rhythm. There, it was hard for the team to catch a rhythm. And I think I played a big hand in the result uh, of the game. Um, specifically, at one point in the second half, uh, Alabama was making – I don't want to say it's a run, but they made a couple shots. And they closed it to 48-42. Uh, Stanford was leading only by six. And then from – in the eight minutes ensuing – Javon Quinterly caught his third foul. Herbert Jones got his third foul. And at the under eight timeout, it was 71-48 out, uh, Stanford. And yeah. I think that's the tail of the game. Yeah, it definitely was. And I agree with you on the rhythm, right? That was, that was the, the primary issue. I think that fouls, yes, play into that. But I think the biggest problem with Alabama's rhythm, and this goes for both games, because we talked about the first half against Jacksonville State kind of looking for that rhythm. I think it's got to be John Petty. Where has he been? We've seen he's gotten some stats uh, to put in, but nothing compared to what he gave us last year on a night-in, night-out basis. Uh, It really seemed like they kept him scoreless in the first half against Stanford and seemed like he he, he was – made invisible too easily you know you've got to have your best player on the ball and doing things more often than we have had John Petty uh, involved in the offense and I think you can't if you're the coaching staff or the players out on the court can't just go away from John Petty because the other team's best defenders on him that, that, that can't be an excuse he, he is your best scoring option he's proved that over the last two three years and so you have to force feed him the ball, find him a play that gets him open, find some way to get him on the block against a smaller guard, get him outside on a big, you know, run him off of screens. Whatever you have to do, John Petty has to be more involved in this offense. That's right. And we, I screened it on this, pro, this podcast all season last season. Uh, the team goes as 23 goes. And it's true again this season. I just talked about it, that uh, 
I don't want to call it a run in the second half, but where Alabama made some shots in a row, yeah. they come off of John Petty. Uh, he had a three in transition. He got to the rim twice, and it looked he facilitated. He got one good. He passed out uh, to I believe it was um, an elevator set run for Jaden Shackelford. He was in the middle of it. He facilitated three points off of that, and Alabama found themselves in a six point game. And then, unfortunately. Then, unfortunately. <laughs> that, that was all of his points for the game. That was it. That, that was, was all he had. Uh, this team goes as 23 goes, and we know the type of player he is, and this is indicative of the whole team. The team's not going to shoot bad this ho- the whole season. Right. They're not going to shoot this bad all year long. We know it. This is the most explosive offense in the SEC and one of the most explosive offenses, offenses in the country. We know it's not going to continue like this. No, it can't. But man, and so, it, but man, is it bad right now? <laughs> right now, yeah, right now it is bad, and we're hoping that it'll turn around tonight against UNLV, or, or at the very least, you want to survive this tournament. I think it, it, that's kind of the mode that we're already, and it's weird to say we're there because we came into that Stanford game, you and me both, knowing that that is a very good team. You could very easily lose that game even if you played well. That's and a possible so, top ten team. It is weird to now already be thinking you're in survival mode. You've got to you've got to win these next two to get out of this uh, looking good. So I, I think it all comes down to how you lost the game because if we had lost a close one against Stanford, we'd played well and they just beat us. I think you'd be saying we feel good going into these next two games. We feel like we can we can handle whatever teams are on this side of the bracket. But now it is. You've got to get at least one win here. You can't go 0-3 at the Maui Invitational. And so your best shot might be tonight against this UNLV team because they have not been uh, red hot per se um, either to start the season. So let's go ahead and get into that, our preview of tonight's game against UNLV. Um, I'm looking bad on this one. I know our Stanford take looked really good, but last week I – told you guys about UNLV and said David Jenkins would be a huge part of that team because of his production at SDSU along with Coach Otzelberger. He has not done anything so far. So <laughs> I think he was a, a one for five and one for six respectively when I checked the two games he's played so far. But uh, Luke, you hit the nail on the head with who would be their best player. So why don't you start off our, our preview for UNLV? Absolutely. Junior guard Bryce Hamilton is averaging 21-6 and six, uh, this season already, just two games, and they have lost two games. And he's playing very good basketball. He played very good when yesterday when, uh, although they lost the game by a lot, they got off to a 13-0 start against North Carolina, a very, very good North Carolina team, uh, because of the success he's having scoring the ball. This is their best player by far. This team, however, let's talk about the team. Team's got three guys scoring in double scoring in double figures, and uh, for all I said on the last Bama Baseline podcast that UNLV was a very good rebounding team, and I still believe that, although they don't score at the clip as a very good team, but they rebound the ball well. Uh, it was not the case last night. They got out-rebounded. I believe the final number was by 28 to North Carolina. I'm not sure if anyone can out-rebound North Carolina. They've got, they've got a, uh, an All-American big man. They've got three others that are five-star big men. They've got a lot of centers on that roster. That's right, and that's what I was about to say. This is going to be the story of the season. How does, how does Alabama match up against teams that, you know, that – Play, play good defense and rebound the ball. And I think this is another team. Although outside of Bryce Hamilton, they don't have very explosive players, although they have two others averaging double digits. They're not as explosive as Bryce Hamilton. But, James, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not completely writing off your, your breakout player for UNLV, David Jenkins. Yeah, he's a very good player at SDSU. And – you know, I'm not, he's averaging only five points. He's made two shots and some free throws all season. I'm not writing him off just yet. Uh, this is a player. This is a guard, their point guard. You have to guard. You have to be on the mind for him. Like you much, like, much like you said about North Carolina and Leaky Black. You can't forget about David Jenkins. Yeah, cannot forget about David Jenkins. That's for sure. And and 
I think that'll be a key to this game. I, I don't see any way that UNLV in their, their current form, what we've seen from them from these first few games, will be able to, to run with this Alabama team if they're hitting on any sort of cylinder um, above what they were last night. And so as long as you can hold David Jenkins to what he's been and not the David Jenkins that we saw at South Dakota State, I think you're, you're, you're good. I think we can win this game and do it in a convincing fashion where, where people start to get back on board. But you let David Jenkins get loose, you combine that with your guy, Bryce Hamilton, and they get going. You, as you said, there's two other guys who average double digits for that team. You know, now we're starting to talk about they're already in the, the, the 50s, 60s points-wise and we're only four players into their, their roster. So you don't want that to happen. You've got to make sure that you're um, all over him, that you game plan accordingly. Don't let the stats in these first two games fool you. Uh, be aware of his pedigree and what he's done in the past, not what he's done in the last two games. That's right. And uh, an area of interest I'm looking at, uh, and it's much like, the second half against Jacksonville State for Alabama where they they forced turnovers, they played good defense, and they got points off of turnovers. This is a team last year uh, was – they averaged nearly – they averaged 13 turnovers a game in this season. Although it's two games, they're averaging 17 and a half turnovers per game. Uh, good enough for well below the 150th mark in the country. This is a team that Alabama should – be able to get out and run on because of how careless they are with the ball traditionally and statistically. This is a team that Alabama should be able to back, bounce back against and find the rhythm and play Nate Oates five out, four and five out basketball. Yeah, and I do think we've said a lot of should and could in this segment right here because like we said last night, it was not pretty. And so we're going off of what we know this team can do. Uh, will they do it? We'll see that tonight at 8.30 on ESPN2 uh, as they take on UNLV. Tomorrow, though, we will have another basketball game. It'll be three games in three days for Alabama. They will play either Providence or Davidson. Uh, do you have any, do you have any uh, insight on which of those two teams you think is going to be on the winner's side or the loser's side of this bracket? It's hard for me. Uh, to go against Davidson because Davidson for me, they're just always there. They've, they've always got, it seems like the same guys from, uh, from Europe playing for them every year. It, they shoot the three extremely well. It seems every year, Bob McKillop has made a, a legacy for himself, if you will, at Davidson yeah. over the past uh, couple decades, but very good, very solid basketball team. They should have won yesterday against Texas, in my opinion, uh, ball didn't bounce her way at the very end. This is a very good, very high-scoring team. They got four, uh, five guys playing in double figures, scoring in double figures. And, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. They score the ball. They shoot the pointer very well. Yeah, they, Kellen Grady. For, for Davidson, you've got Kellen Grady, uh, probably their best player. He's a senior now. Uh, got a lot of hype early on in his college career. Uh, hasn't quite panned out the way it was hyped up to be, but he's still a really good basketball player and has led this Davidson team over the years. Um, they do lose from last year, uh, John Axel Goodmanson, another one of those European players that you were talking about. Uh, they lost him. He was, a, he was a big threat for them. He was one of the few guys who I watched in college basketball last year and thought this guy really could get a triple-double. Because in, in college basketball, it's so rare to see something like that because um, for whatever reason, assist numbers just aren't as high in college basketball as they are in the NBA. That has to do with time in the game, first of all, but also uh, length of possessions, things like that. And he really was a guy who I looked at and said, you know, the, the right things go his way. He could be a triple-double candidate in a college basketball game. They lose him, but Kellen Grady, as we said, their best player. Uh, they did have – I was watching the broadcast with Bill Walton on the call uh, yesterday. Uh, he asked if Luka Doncic of the uh, Dallas Mavericks was of any relation uh, to Luka Brashkovich. Brashkovich. Brockovich, however you say it, 
And I, I, I laughed, laughed so hard at that. I know a lot of people on social media made fun of it, but just the idea that two Lukas would be related instead of two Doncic's or Brashkovich's just mm-hmm. well, I mean, Bill Walton. We, I'll speak on this right quick before we get on with our Davis, Davidson analysis. We have been robbed uh, as, as really a fan base of not being able to listen to Bill Walton call our, ga- call our games. Um, I was looking forward to it all day. I'm not going so to lie. All day I was looking forward to it. And then it just wasn't Bill Walton. You, well, you just don't know. You, you don't know what he's going to say. It's always fun. You know it's going to be fun. That's the only thing you know. But uh, getting on with our, our, our analysis here, uh, Davidson, this is just a team, it seems, always finds a way. They're firmly entrenched in the mix <laughs> of whatever game they're in. They could lose it by one point but they never lose it by, like, 100 points, like, like we saw the Crimson Tide do last night. They never get blown out. They're just they're, – they're solidly there every game they play. It's because they shoot the ball. They facilitate very well, averaging 16 assists per game uh, this season. Yeah. You like Davidson. I kind of like this uh, Providence team. Can't ever bet against Ed yeah. Cooley in my book. Um, obviously, this is a very good coaching matchup, as, as you talked about, Davidson's side. Um, but they do have David Duke, a guard who is considered a draft prospect. Uh, some people thought he would leave, end up in the NBA draft, but he's come back, a junior guard, 6'5", and he's kind of this leader of this team. They've also got Greg Gant, who returns as a sophomore, 6'8", uh, forward for them. Those are their two best players, um, probably a little bit above the uh, talent that you'll see at Davidson. Uh, but you know th- that that doesn't mean that Davidson can't win, as we've as we've raved about right here in this segment. Davidson always in the mix uh, to win any given basketball game. So uh, we we will play either the winner or loser of that matchup, depending on whether we win or lose against UNLV tonight. Uh, so be sure to watch not only the Alabama game, but keep an eye on the box score uh, or at least the score line for for this game. Well, and I want to say this before we move along here. A player to walk, look out for, and we we didn't mention him just now, but uh, Nate Watson has been playing yeah. out of his mind for Providence this season, averaging 18 points a game, eight rebounds. This cat is – and this is this is prototypical what Alabama struggles with. If Alabama were to play Providence tomorrow, 6'10", very experienced player. He's a senior on the roster. Seven, 18 points a game. He rebounds the ball very well, and he runs the floor. This is the prototype what Alabama struggles with, and he's a player to watch for them. Yeah, that was one of the reasons I was a little bit relieved that we didn't have to play North Carolina because they've got, like we discussed earlier, they've got four or five of him <laughs> that are running around on that court. And so – yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, throughout the season how Alabama adjusts to playing guys like that, but we will not have to today as we play UNLV. Uh, and, of course, keep an eye on who we will be playing on Wednesday and what time that game will be because tip-offs, of course, vary depending on whether we win or lose. Hopefully, by the end of this tournament, we can get Bill Walton on the call for an Alabama game and get some of those classic Bill Walton lines uh, throughout the broadcast. Uh, When we come back, we will have our list. We will have Luke's notes, and then we will wrap up today's show with our impressed and depressed teams so far in the college basketball season. You are listening to the Bama Baseline Podcast. Welcome back into the Bama Baseline Podcast. I'm Luke Ratliff alongside James Fletcher. We thank you for listening. We are moving now. We just got done with our analysis on teams in the Maui Invitational as well as the Crimson Tide in their past two games. And now we're moving into our list segment where, James, I'm very excited about our list. I've been, I, I could talk about this all show if you'd like for me to, but <laughs> our list this week, top five, and it's subject to change, top five college basketball officials. And, James, if you'd like for me to go first, I am eager to talk about this. Well, I'll let you go first then because, I, I, you know, I'm not quite the aficionado on officiating that you are. So, I'll go first here because I, I, I have a love for showmanship, as you know. And no, there's no better showman on the earth than college basketball officials. So, let's start at five. 
Five for me, Joe Lindsay. Joe Lindsay is a very good basketball official, and I'm going to say the very – he's not flashy or anything, but he's very good at his job. And he usually works out – things usually work out well for Alabama whenever Joe Lindsay is on the call. I really like Joe Lindsay. Uh, before going further, has anybody heard anything out of Carl Hess? Do you remember Carl Hess, James? I don't – that name does not ring a bell to me. Carl Hess, he called – he used to call specifically ACC basketball games. Um, I believe it was him and Tony Green were on the call uh, for that Duke-Syracuse uh, game where Jim Beheim threw his, co- threw his coat on the yeah. floor of Cameron and got ejected. Huh. Uh, top five moment in basketball. I just want to if, – if if any of the listeners know where Carl Hess is, I'd very much like to know because I haven't seen him uh, in a very long time. But moving on, I just mentioned him, number four for me, Tony Green. I mean, just – this is the most professional of the basketball officials in the college world to me, Tony Green. He is awesome at what he does. He's a great person. He'll, he'll talk to you. He's a great communicator. He's very, very good at what he does, and he deserves to be in the top five of any list on earth. I'll put him in top five any list. I'll, I'll put him in top five uh, Thanksgiving list we did last week. I like Tony Green. <laughs> Number three, Jeffrey Anderson. He's the one with the high knees. You know this one, James. I know Jeff Anderson. Jeff Anderson. He's the one with the, hand, the high knees. I love this guy, man. He's what, what, a, what a consistent official he is, and – our top, my top two, I think everyone knows, but he's a showman in a different way, in his own unique way, and I like him. I really do. Number two, Ted Valentine, my good friend Ted Valentine. Ted Valentine, is there anything more consistent? It's, it's death, taxes, and Ted Valentine on TV it, it, for me. Ted Valentine, he has an, a convertible Audi, and the license plate is whistle. It says whistle, and the I is a number one. No one on earth is, is a better showman than Ted Valentine. Number one, of course, my good friend Doug Shells. What a man. I, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood. To, I'm knocking on wood because Alabama, in their past, I believe it's 17 meetings with Doug Shells, has not lost the game. And I'm knocking oh. on wood because I don't want it to change. Doug has been very yeah. good. Uh, for the Crimson Tide. And he'll talk to you. I love talking to Doug before the games. Uh, tell him that I love him, and I hope he, his family has a good Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever upcoming holiday he is. Really good guy. But, James, there's my list. Let's move on to you. What do you have for us? All right, so so I've got a, I got a few here. Um, I think our lists overlap some, which is a, a given since um, I have – gleaned a lot of information about officials from you over the the time we've known each other but i went with number five i went with doug sermons oh doug sermons he he ended up on the final four call last year in that uh that famous virginia versus auburn game and he was the crew chief yes he was one of the officials that made that call Uh, i then went with jeff anderson Jeff Anderson, who made your list famous for the fi- the high knees, excuse me. Doug Shells made the list, and this is in no particular order on my list. I, I do not have as strong of a, a feeling on these officials as you do, but Doug Shells makes the list uh, there. Of course, Teddy Valentine has to be on any list about college basketball officials. I believe doesn't. Does he have a uh, – is it a documentary or did someone write an article on him recently? I, I saw something about his name in the news. Yeah, he did a uh, – well, there's a, I think there's a lot of articles on Ted Valentine, but he did a podcast recently. And I'm blanking on who it was that did the podcast, but it was very good. It, it, I, I enjoyed I believe it. it was Goodman. Was it Jeff Goodman? It was not Jeff Goodman. It, it was, was not? I cannot remember. I'll get back to you on that. I'll figure All it right. out. Uh, we'll have yeah. to find that out. Find that out. Yeah, he, but, uh, he talked about he talked about James real quick. I'm sorry to intercede with your list here. We right. talked about how he how he has to know who the best players on the court are, and how the crowd will react to those best players, and how he can play up the crowd. And I loved it. I loved it so much. I mean, we talked about it. He's a showman. That's what he. That's what he is. And our, the last on my list of five officials is going to be John Higgins. He didn't draw a Final Four assignment. Uh, this past year, but he is a staple in the final four, a staple in the NCAA tournament. 
Uh, he's respected as one of the top officials in all of college basketball. So he rounds out my list of the top five college basketball uh, referees. He also owns a roofing business, if you're ever interested in that. He owns a roofing business on the side and puts roofs on houses. See, now this is why I got to come to you, my basketball officiating <laughs> aficionado, Luke Ratliff. He knows everything about each official that comes through the door at Coleman Coliseum. As we move forward here, uh, let's go into our, our new favorite um, segment, our, our newest edition. Well, I guess not our newest edition anymore. We're adding one after this, but let's get to Luke's notes. All right. So if you're still new to the show, this season, we're doing this. This is a new segment. I take notes on the college basketball weekend, and I bring write them down, and I bring them to you, the listener. So, James, these are my notes from the college basketball weekend. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows, the conquering victories, the gut-wrenching upsets. It's so great, James, to have college basketball back in our lives. Yes. Luca Garza. The Terminator. You know why I call him the Terminator, James? Why is that? Because he's more machine than man. <laughs> he had, James, he had a game. I cannot, for the life of me, remember who Iowa was playing, but I think he scored 52 points in the first half, and he had 36 of them. <laughs> he, is, he is incredible. He's, he's the best player in the country. Uh, I, I really don't think there's a close second, in my opinion, although there is one very good guard at Gonzaga. Uh, we might talk about here in a minute but Syracuse beats the Bryant Bulldogs by exactly one point James Mm. not a good performance from Syracuse you know what you know what Jim Boeheim has to do what does he have to do he has to put it in the rear view mirror he does yeah put that one in the rear view LSU lost to a depleted St. Louis team so here's what I want to know are the Billies actually really good or did LSU overpay for their players? <laughs> Mississippi State. <laughs> Wolf. <laughs> Wolf. They're going to get talked about twice here later today, aren't I'm they? Telling you, I've, got, I've got two things for them. They are – I mean, did you watch them? Did you see them against Clemson? Ooh, man. They lost by 12, and they scored, I think, 42 points. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good they, showing. Oh, I mean, ugh, I got something else for him here in a second, but a uh, team to look out for, James, is Liberty. Look out for Liberty. Liberty on the rise all, all over the place. Football, basketball, they're, they're a school on the rise. Well, they got a very good coach, Richie McKay. Richie McKay yes. a Tony, from the Tony Bennett School of mm-hmm. Coaching. Uh, Richie McKay, he's a very, very good coach. And, James, they're going to be the one team that comes out of the A-Sun. Zaheer Williams, top five pick, collision course. (laughs) North Carolina, my God, can they rebound the basketball. That's, I mean, that's the whole reason they got back into that game. Not because they were making shots, but because they, if they miss one, they just grab it. They just take it off the rim. Yeah. I mean, when you have five centers, like we've talked about, I mean, we've talked about it two straight weeks now. When you have five centers, you can rebound the basketball. Oh, my God. Frank Martin shaved his head. James, if you thought he was intimidating before, just wait until you see him with the chrome dome. I really, I really don't want to. While we're doing this list, while I'm doing my notes, I want you to look it up on your phone right now. Yeah. Look up Frank Martin Bald on Google, Twitter, wherever it is. I want you to look that up while I read the notes here. Uh, speaking of hair, Shaka Smart. Yeah. Eyes of the Millennium. He looks like Ari Shafir, comedian <laughs> Ari Shafir. <laughs> The resurgence. Yeah. The A-10, as good as any conference you'll see in basketball this season. Could they get four teams in the tournament? They they, they could get a few, at least. I mean, I don't think it's that far out of the realm of possibility. Did you find it, James? I have found it. It is terrifying. I, like, man. (laughs) I mean (laughs) – I don't want to run into him anywhere. <laughs> I'll tell you. Listeners, look that up. Frank Martin Ball. Look it up. It is not oh, – oh. Richmond. You don't want to get back up. on his bad side now, Luke. You know? no, I don't want to. But you the don't man want looks, to. The man looks scary. I don't oh. 
Richmond took Kentucky to school in Rupp Arena. The Cats made only one three the whole game. Richmond could only be so lucky because that could never happen to Alabama. We never had that sort of luck. James, those are my notes. All right. Well, thank you for those notes. Um, Enjoy that segment every week. Uh, Did not enjoy looking at Frank Martin get even scarier than he was before. But it's time to move forward into our last segment of the day. We are going to talk about our impressed teams, our depressed teams, and Luke says he has a couple teams that he's not sold on. Uh, I've got a couple that come to mind when I think of those types of teams too. So we're going to talk about those. First, I want to start off with uh, maybe one of my most impressed teams of this young season. And that was San Francisco. How about them uh, beating the Virginia Cavaliers and Tony Bennett? The Dodds. That was a big win for them. And let me tell you, Todd Golden, that is a name to watch on the, the all those 40 under 40 lists. He's always on it, and he is one of the top young coaches in college basketball. He will have a power five job in the near future. Um, I watched him last year, his team go through the West Coast Conference tournament before everything got shut down, and I thought, man, this team is this team is something. They they've got the right coach um, to build at a small school like this. And get them back to some of that former glory that they have. We know San Francisco has a rich uh, basketball history, but that has long since passed them. Maybe Todd Golden is the guy to bring it back. Mm-hmm. That's your impress team. So I'll give you my impress team. And it's a team that's on the schedule for Alabama in a couple of weeks. Houston, the Houston Cougars. Kelvin Sampson has this team rolling. They yeah. had a very, very convincing win against Texas, Chris Beard's Texas Tech team. And Look, Chris Beard having a beard now. Yeah, he's living up to the name, huh? It is. No, but that's a very good Texas Tech team, too. Uh, I, I thought – some uh, like, I, when I was going through my teams I could be impressed with, my team I could be impressed with, I was like, well, Texas Tech. And then I was like, well, no, Houston. Yeah. But I'm still impressed with Texas Tech. But Houston, man, they are they – are, they might be in the top – the top five in the country, top ten, top five in the country. They could be. Alabama. They, they are a really good team this year. Yeah. Uh, James, who, who are you depressed on? Well, I was going to give you a, a couple more of my impressed teams before we get oh, to okay. this, but impressed for me still, the Richmond Spiders. You talked about it. Yes, Kentucky fell apart, but that was not a win by three points. They, they pulled away in that one. They won that thing by 12 in Rupp Arena. That was really impressive. They're now 2-0, and the number 19 team in the country. As a matter of fact, uh, the Spiders are a team to watch. You talked about it, the A-10. They've got some really good teams, and Richmond is right at the top of that list um, of teams that are probably going to make the tournament this year. Uh, my last of the impressed teams that I had for you, is the Creighton Blue Jays. Creighton Blue Jays, they are only 1-0 and so far, but, um, you know, they won it convincingly. They showed everything they needed to show. Uh, their freshmen look good. Uh, their returning players look very good. They're going to be a top 10, uh, possibly a top five team all season long. Boo. Boo you. <laughs> you don't want to give them any credit. No. Uh, depressed teams. James, I'm, I've got one of each here. Uh, I know you went further deep into analysis per usual, uh, as you are the shining beacon of journalism and integrity in this podcast. And yeah. I, am, of course, the common fan. <laughs> <laughs> but depressed for me, and I talked about them in my notes, Mississippi State. I mean, they are. No, like, they still have Abdullah Do from last season. And, yeah. uh, of course, they have a uh, former Crimson Tide player, J.B. Davis. Uh, but this, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say about it. They are, it's, it's, oh, it gives me the chills thinking about watching them play basketball. They lost by 12, of, I think it was 12, to Clemson, and they only scored 42 points. How yeah. does that, in, in 2020, how does that happen? I'm not sure. We looked at that team, and, you know, you knew that they were losing Woodard, they were losing Perry. That was a lot to, to give up, but – you felt like Stewart showed you something. Molinar maybe could give you some production, but it just it hasn't been there so far this year. Yeah, and that's the thing. We knew they were going to be bottom four in the conference this season. Yeah. 
But this bat, it is it is hard to watch. It is hard to watch. James, what about you? Who are you depressed on? Uh, well, the the most depressing team for me, and uh, fans are going to be kind of happy about this, the Auburn Tigers, man. Men, are they bad at basketball? I mean, we all see why they uh, went for that postseason ban now. It doesn't look like Sharif Cooper is going to be eligible, and I just don't see a way they win most of their basketball games uh, the way they've been playing already one and two uh, in their games, and they needed, I believe, overtime to get that one win. St. Joseph's, uh, not uh, the biggest of rivals uh, obviously, you can't blame them for getting run out by Gonzaga. They've been incredibly impressive all year, um, even extending the gap that we thought that there was between the number one and number two team in the country. But then to lose to UCF like they did last night, not and that's, that's that's a UCF team last night that did not shoot the ball good at all. No, I mean at all, and they still won by twelve points over Auburn. But this is sort of what you expected from Auburn this year. They lost. I think what was 80, 80, 90% of their, uh, their offensive production from last season. And they asked players with no experience and uh, freshman guard from Kentucky, the Powell kid, what was it Justin Powell? They asked him to fill in the shoes of uh, the uh, Samir Dowdy and all those players and Javon McCormick fill in those shoes. And I, I don't think they're going to. It, no. They're just, they're just very much not good basketball team right now. No, and then you've got Alan Flanagan as their, their top scorer, and he really wasn't much a part of the rotation uh, last year. So it, it has not been a good look. And um, also on my D press list, this one hurts a little bit, uh, my hometown pride, the Memphis Tigers have not looked very good. And I know they've, they're waiting on some waivers uh, for a player. They just got Musa Cisse's waiver, but – Musa Cisse, I know he's a five-star recruit. He's extremely talented, but the basketball is just not there yet. He's got the talent, the physical tools to be great, but the, the basketball side of things just has not come full circle for him yet uh, in his freshman season. He's still learning uh, how to play on the offensive end especially, but uh, they, they lose back-to-back games against Western Kentucky. And that one you can kind of dismiss because Charles Bassey is one of the top centers in the country. You say, we've got this young freshman. He had to go up against this experienced guy. But then to turn around and lose to VCU, that was not a good look and not a, not a good trip to South Dakota for the Memphis Tigers, who were under a lot of pressure from their fan base and, and people around the program to pull out of that tournament. Uh, they chose to go anyways despite – eight teams, I think, withdrawing from uh, that event. And, hey, it's a bad look when everyone told you to leave and you stay and end up losing some some bad games of basketball uh, if you're the Memphis Tigers. That's that's what I've got for D-Press. Those are the two that really come to mind for me. Uh, but you, you said that you've got a couple teams that you're not sold on yet. I've got exactly one team that I'm not sold on yet, and that's the UCLA Bruins. And – they were for a team that was good coach Mick Cronin, uh, more consistent than a few good men on on a rainy Sunday. But uh, they were ranked coming into the season, uh, and I misspoke on the last podcast. I was uh, I said we don't know how good they're going to be, or we didn't we don't think they're going to be good. UCLA speaking of, I meant to say Washington, mm-hmm. uh, and I caught it after re-listening to our episode. I said, what am I talking about? They're twenty second in the country, but huh. UCLA they came out of the gates last week, lost a. Bad loss to San Diego State, which is not going to be a bad team in the Mountain West. San Diego State, uh, they were one of the last two undefeated teams, or they were the last undefeated team in the country last year. Uh, but they lost some players this year. But UCLA, I'm not sold on They needed overtime to get past Pepperdine last night, who yeah. was only – and this is, how I, this is how I'm going to have to judge teams this year. I'm going to have to look at Vegas and see uh, the spreads because, you know, Vegas is all-knowing and all-telling. Right, James, especially if you're a betting man, unlike myself. But only a single-digit dog Pepperdine was to UCLA last night, and I said, well, something's up here. And it absolutely showed. They forced overtime against UCLA in San, in San Diego that game was. But I'm not sold on them. I'm really not sold. In, in the Pac-12, where you've got Oregon playing good basketball, Arizona State 
playing good basketball, Stanford playing really good basketball. I mean, it's just you don't know where what you're going to get with UCLA, and it's supposed to be a big year for them. Not yeah. sold on them. Yeah, I, when I look at the teams that I'm not sold on, I looked – looked at the top 25 because I don't want to talk down on some team that's, you know, outside the top 25 and, you know, maybe they make the tournament, maybe they don't. And, and that kind of not sold, but somebody that I'm not sold on in the top four, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not to say that they're not a really good basketball team who will be uh, a top four or five seed in the tournament, but to have them at number four in the country, I just don't, I don't see that from them uh, with the gauntlet of the Big Ten that they've got to go through. They've got to play Michigan State. They've got to play Ohio State, who's very good this year. Illinois um, is one of the top teams in the country. It's going to be difficult in my mind for them because uh, I just don't see the, the big names uh, that some of these other schools have that will be able to kind of put them over the top. Uh, and you talk about a year where Iowa is – undoubtedly I think a top five team in the country so Wisconsin they're in the top five right now they're at number four but do I think that they're a one seed or even a two seed when we get to selection Sunday I I don't see it uh I think that they're closer to a five or six than they are to a one or two so that's the team that I'm not yet sold on well I think going back to that top teams that you're not sold on I think I could you could add Virginia into that list too Virginia mm -hmm. We just talked about them losing to the Donnies uh, of San Francisco. Uh, I'm not – it's still, in this day and age, you have to score the basketball. It's, it, it's more important now than ever. That's the name of the game. You have to score the basketball. And Virginia does not do a very good job of scoring the basketball. And it's worked for them so far. They won a national championship doing it. But you've get, you, they've got to find a way to get offensive production uh, because I'm not, I, I'm not sold on them yet. No, I, I would agree with that one as well. Uh, all right. Well, we've talked about a lot today. Hope you guys had time to digest it all. Um, you got to listen to it in different segments so that you can get in your, uh, your listen to the preview before the game and then get to the rest of it tomorrow. We understand that. Uh, that's what podcasts are for. But we want to thank you once again for joining us on the Bama Baseline podcast. We will be back this time next week with another episode and more analysis of Alabama hoops and everything college basketball. For Luke Ratliff, I am James Fletcher, and thanks for listening, guys.